You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And today I'm talking about the Newborn Individualized Developmental Care and Assessment Program, otherwise known as NIDCAP. Joining me is Gretchen Lawhon, who's a clinical nurse scientist. Thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. It's my privilege to be here. So the incidence of preterm birth in the U.S. is around 10%. We know that these preterm births result in multiple challenges, both in the short term in the NICU and long term in their neurodevelopmental outcomes. This is an area of a lot of research and rapid advancements in scientific knowledge that inform how we care for these vulnerable patients. Beyond the medical advances, how do you think the care we provide in NICUs is evolving? Beyond the medical advances is a, is a big question in and of itself, because when we first started the research that led to NIDCAP, we had not yet begun the trials with surfactant. So mm-hmm. huge changes have happened with the medical care, and I don't want to completely ignore that. Mm-hmm. But I think more so newborn ICUs are evolving to be environmentally much calmer, quieter, gentler, more humane, family-centered areas for not only the preterm or sick newborns that are in them, but their families as well. What I think has made the biggest change is that the emphasis is really on building and protecting the emerging relationships. So we have the protection of that baby's developing brain, but always the infant within context of his or her family. So if you were to look at a NICU that's been very much designed for this type of care, you would see evidence of the family at a baby's bedside. It would be clear that this baby has a first name that we honor and call him or her by that name. There would be a space for family belongings. You would see that if the parent weren't present right then, that clearly they had been or planned to be very soon. So the infant is looked at as an active participant in care. We're not doing things to babies. We're not treating babies. We're providing care in participation with that baby, honoring his strengths, his likes, his dislikes Mm -hmm. as we provide care. Interesting. So what is NIDCAP? So NIDCAP, as you said, Newborn Individualized Developmental Care and Assessment Program, that acronym actually came from a nurse administrator Mm. way back, I think, in 1982. In some ways, it's a side effect or a not totally planned for outcome of the earliest intervention research to look at. If we attend to an infant's specific behavioral cues and modify their care to decrease the inherent stress of the unit and maximize the baby's own self-regulatory behavior, would they do better? Mm -hmm. And in fact, as the research has shown, that's been true. And it was really the combination of Dr. Hadley's Alls, an infant and child neurobehavioral psychologist at Boston Children's, 
intensely looking and appreciating babies from her own theoretical perspective and myself as a clinical nurse specialist at the time in Boston, strategizing, okay, so Dr. All sees this interesting aspect of this behavior. How can we as nurses at the bedside 24-7 be able to integrate that information into quite different ways of positioning and handling babies so that the stress is minimized Mm -hmm. and their competence can be emerging more fully. Right. And so you mentioned Dr. Alls. She's the originator of NIDCAP with other people like yourself and is the author of the Assessment of Preterm Infants Behavior, or APIB. What does this assessment measure? Correct. In fact, the APIB, or the Assessment of Preterm, Full-Term Infant Behavior, one of the co-authors besides Dr. Alls, who's the primary author, is actually Barry Brazelton. Mm -hmm. And it's based on his Brazelton scale for full-term newborns with the integration of Heidelise All's theoretical framework called the synactive theory, understanding how uh, the newborn develops with various subsystems that interact within the human and lead to either disorganization when it doesn't go well or greater self-regulation when things are in balance and go smoothly. The APIB or the assessment of preterm infant behavior, existed prior to NIDCAP. Mm, okay. So NIDCAP kind of came out of that work. Absolutely. The, the problem was that you can't actually handle and use the APIB to assess a baby until they're, I would say, roughly at the minimum 34 weeks corrected age that they can tolerate the handling and are well enough. So basically your healthy growing premature infant. But all that valuable information that's gleaned with that assessment tool can actually be obtained with NIDCAP because NIDCAP is is a systematic observational tool. I stand at an infant's bedside no matter how acutely ill or tiny 23 week infant with maximal technology for survival. And I can stand at his or her bedside with a clipboard that has all of the components in the synactive theory of an infant's development. We always observe a period of time prior to caregiving, the caregiving that's happening to the baby anyway, and following care so that we can see, okay, What is this baby's baseline functioning? How does he or she respond to handling? And can he or she settle afterwards? So it's a hands-off observation of the natural environment of a newborn intensive care unit. The NICU natural environment. Yes, that gleans that information. And from that, write a very nice descriptive summary of the infant's behavior, assess strengths and challenges or vulnerabilities, and make really specific individualized recommendations for care. And those recommendations are going to cover environmentally sort of bed space and bedding. They're going to cover specific how would one perhaps greet and warn that infant that care was about to happen Mm -hmm. as opposed to putting a thermometer under their arm or repositioning. And also implications for suggestions of how to help this baby become better integrated with his mother and father. Can you give us an example of what some of those components are that you're looking at? 
the components meaning in terms of the theoretical framework. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'll try to, to do it very simply and briefly. There are three major subsystems within the synactive theory of newborn development. The autonomic, which basically you see in behavior through the baby's color, their breathing, gut function, neurologic twitches, tremors, etc. Then there's the motor subsystem where you look at the baby's basic posture, the uh, muscle tone, and quality of movement. And the third major subsystem is that of states of consciousness from a deep sleep, which seldom is seen in the newborn ICU, to light sleep, drowsy, alert, aroused and fussy and irritable, robust crying. Mm -hmm. Again, not so frequently seen. And within the states of consciousness, how clear or well-defined is any state? And what happens with the baby in the transition from one state to another? Beyond those three major subsystems, we're looking at specific frequently seen signs of disorganization Mm -hmm. and the baby being out of balance. But also, more positively, the infant's own efforts at self-regulating, self-consoling, and how successful are those efforts. And that's what leads one to think about, okay, how do I build on that baby's emerging strength? Mm -hmm. So you're learning from the baby what it needs. Totally. Totally. I worked with one uh, physician in my past who said, the easiest way to explain NIDCAP is you let the baby be the boss. Mm -hmm. You let the baby guide all the interactions of care. And that is one way to think of it. In the NICU, newborns can be exposed to a number of uncomfortable procedures, sometimes uncomfortable positions while procedures are being done. So how do we know how these stimuli can impact developing newborns? You're right. For every baby in newborn intensive care, there are difficult procedures. And as a longtime NICU nurse, I've had to participate in inflicting Mm -hmm. some pain and discomfort in those things that are necessary for the infant's care, survival. But how do we know the impact on the baby? There are a couple of different directions I can go with that answer kind of a a not direct on point is that we know from the evidence-based research what effect caregiving has on babies. But I think more humanly to answer that question, I would say that babies are continuously communicating their experience. Mm -hmm. They are incapable of not telling us how they're doing, how they're responding or reacting to anything we do, whether it's a position we've put them in or the heel stick we've had to do to check their blood glucose. Mm -hmm. So the behavior is the window to the brain, literally. So if I do anything with an infant or I observe something happening with an infant, I can look at that baby's breathing pattern and how it may change. I can look at coloring. Does he get very red and squirming and upset or does he completely pale out and become more limp Mm -hmm. in muscle tone? And so we can see by the baby's reactivity, which is his communication, is this working? Are you comfortable? Or is this upsetting and making you uncomfortable? We don't always know the answer. Right. But having the ability to understand the communication in many ways liberates one 
as the professional caregiver, not to have to know the answer, but simply to understand the language so that we can adjust our care according to what the baby is telling us. Mm-hmm. Great. And you've mentioned all throughout that parents are an important part of this team. So how do NIDCAP NICUs incorporate parents as part of the treatment team? So I can respond. I'd like to just preface to say that, again, as a long-term NICU nurse, I really had to learn this the hard way, Mm. that the message needs to be to the mother or father that they are the most important advocates, long-term nurturers and caregivers to this baby, Mm -hmm. regardless of how acutely ill or tiny. So ideally, in a NIDCAP approach to care, we've actually met the mother or father even before the baby's admitted to the NICU. Mm -hmm. And we've given a little bit of introduction and orientation to what to expect. That's done in many places mm-hmm. as a anticipatory guidance to the NICU. Right. And then when the baby's admitted as quickly as possible, the f- parent is welcome to be right there at the bedside. We don't hide the emergent kind of care, even in resuscitations, mm-hmm. being very open and honest. Parents appreciate being able to be there Sometimes in the most acute, horrendous situations of resuscitation, for a parent simply to have their hand touching their son or daughter's body Mm -hmm. makes a world of difference. But in general, for the majority of babies who do quite well, despite having a little bit of a difficult clinical course in the NICU, from day one, acknowledging and collaborating with parents Even on simple things like most babies are on a schedule of caregiving because that's a reality in a newborn ICU where nurses have to do it. So they may be on an every three-hour feeding schedule. First and foremost, let's ask that mother or father, when is your usual time to be able to be with your baby going to be? Mm -hmm. And make that one of the caregiving times because otherwise it's artificial whether they're fed at 8, 11 Two five or nine twelve three six. Let's make it work for the family. That's mm, step that's a one. Point. And then ongoing, including that parent. If even in the tiniest critical babies, I think of, we generally put a diaper under their bottom. Mm. A parent can put the diaper under the bottom. Mm-hmm. We help. We really promote, in general parent present or not, what we call four-handed care. Two hands are supporting a baby, two hands are doing the procedures and the task of Mm -hmm. caregiving. Ideally, two of those hands belong to a mom or dad, if possible. And of course, we promote lots of skin-to-skin holding because there's so much good evidence that that supports growth and sleep and maturation and better oxygenation and decreased events of heart rate dropping and saturation dropping. So really, truly collaborating with parents from day one. And by that point, then you have the situation like a mother I worked with yesterday in our follow-up program who said, it's been really easy to take care of Aria because I knew her so well. And she was totally comfortable. And this was a baby who was born at 23 weeks and coincidentally went home on her due date. Mm -hmm. And this is two weeks later. And this baby had a very rocky clinical course. And we really thought she may die several times. And this mother is so confident first baby, young mother, but because of being acknowledged and supported in her role as the mother of her daughter, she really was ready 
when it was time to go home. Mm. As a primary care doctor, I often see babies who were in the NICU who are so medicalized that their parents can struggle with that transition to home. And like you said, it's sort of, what do you mean I can feed them whenever they're hungry? <laughs> what do you mean no, there's no monitor telling me exactly what their heart rate is today? And that can create some stress on the parent side when all of a sudden that technology is gone, their support team from the NICU, all the nurses and doctors and, and other therapists that they came to love over those weeks or months are all gone and it's just them at home with their baby. So that can be scary for parents. So how do you think the skills from the NICU translate to home in an ideal world? So I totally agree. And I've seen a variety of examples of extremes. For some parents, it may be the first time in their lives that they themselves have been cared for and nurtured and supported in the role of being a parent of a baby in the NICU. So it can be very scary and a rough adjustment going home. Ideally, the parent is prepared and we have lots of conversations and there's a gradual weaning and preparation for going home. Despite that, we have a number of parents who choose to go and buy Mm -hmm. you know, certain kinds of available monitors for using at home. They are going to make their choices. And I think having an honest discussion to say, how do you feel about this? What are you going to do? How? And then going with what their choice is and, and helping them to deal with things and being open about it. I can remember in 80s and 90s when it was very common to send babies home on home monitoring, mm -hmm. It was silly because sometimes we knew a parent from day one wasn't going to use that monitor. Right. So I'd rather have the discussion, are you really going to use the monitor when you go home? Because if not, it may inform the time of discharge or we could do things slightly differently to be open and honest with one another to get the best care of your baby. Mm -hmm. But I think it's not so much skill of caring for the baby. To me, the whole secret, and this is what my own dissertation research was on, is facilitating the parent in understanding their own son or daughter's behavior. Mm -hmm. So that in the same way I talked about how babies are continuously communicating, for the parent to understand that communication gives them a world of competence and also the confidence they need to understand, I know how my baby looks when she's handling things well. Right. And I know how she looks when it's getting difficult. And parents can really, better than many of us as professionals who don't know every baby quite so well, appreciate subtle changes in color, subtle changes in muscle tone when they're holding mm -hmm. their babies and their behavior, that I always trust a parent who worries and says, I think there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. right. Because maybe 72 hours, we're doing a septic workup. I think that everything you're describing sounds like an amazing NICU experience and approach, but what evidence do we have that this leads to an improvement in long-term neurodevelopmental outcomes after these children leave the NICU? So evidence is always, that's the scientific question. We don't get to do things just because it feels like the right thing to do. Right. Because as a scientist and a healthcare professional, we need to have the evidence. 
base for why we do what we do. The NITCAP work began, I think, our very first research study before we actually had the term NIDCAP began in 1981, and it was with the most at-risk early-born infants. But since that time, there's a huge body of research, and there's about 15 studies that I think are really sort of the classic core evidence for why does the NIDCAP approach to care work. And it repeatedly shows a reduction in days on ventilator. Well, that kind of tells you it's old school because now it's more CPAP than mm-hmm. ventilator. A couple of the newest studies show decreased time needing CPAP. But in general, we have decreased oxygen requirement for babies even in the newborn ICU stay. They require gavage feeding less, so they're getting to either bottle breast or combination sooner. There's less severity of chronic lung disease. There's decreased incidence of intraventricular hemorrhage, which of course the bleeding in the brain is probably the scariest and most likely to cause long-term harm in babies. Decreased hospitalization and um, decreased age at discharge. So all of that also affects increased better growth. But in addition to that, over the years we've had a number of studies with NIDCAP that have showed some real difference in improvement in both the structure and the function of the preterm infant's developing brain. And we've seen the evidence clearly at about two weeks corrected age, which when you have a term Mm -hmm. cohort, you can compare. But we've also seen the differences at nine months, at two years, three years, at eight years. Mm. There's just one or two little studies that have actually looked at some of the babies from our early NIDCAP studies who are in the age range of 20, Mm. young adult. And with a battery of neuropsychological testing, you can still see significant differences for those cared for in the NIDCAP model versus not. Now, numbers really become small when you go out that far. But in addition to the change in the babies, repeatedly the studies show increased parent competence and confidence. Mm -hmm. And then finally, the one thing I would mention, because I think it's so important, if an infant is going to become a child with any disabilities, if we can affect a more positive self-esteem, that's a tremendous help to that child's ability to deal with whatever kind of disability they may have. Right. And, and that has come through. And it's difficult because after that whole body of work in the predominantly 80s into mid-90s, NITCAP spread in very informal ways, mm-hmm. but it, the newborn ICUs became a place where you could no longer bring this work in and say, let's do it or not do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because nurses... We go to a conference. We hear something's good. Mm -hmm. We don't wait for necessarily all the evidence or to study it. We go back to the units we work in. We start doing it Mm -hmm. because it sounded good. And we thought, wow, this is a more humane, nicer way to treat babies. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to find the ability to do this kind of research anymore. Right. And on top of that, it's human complexity, both in the baby and in the person providing care. Right. And I would imagine from what you're describing, too, as a nurse, that it probably improves your own job satisfaction to work in this sort of an approach. 
There's actually been research in different people's dissertation studies related to the NIDCAP work, where you see the improvement in the babies themselves, you see the improvement in the parenting, which also then has a side effect of improvement in baby if you higher expectations, and also staff satisfaction Mm -hmm. for sure. There's greater staff satisfaction when you feel you're really functioning in a more humane, supportive manner with babies and families. Mm -hmm. So I'm a primary care pediatrician. We've been talking a lot about the NICU, which is not a place where I work. But what are the top three things that you would want pediatricians to know about NIDCAP and, and this approach to care in the NICU? So I liked that question because it was a little challenging to me who's been embedded in a NICU since 1980. But I'm also in a position currently where not only do I do NIDCAP observations and APIB evaluations of babies in a newborn ICU, but we also have a wellness center where we have a transitional follow-up program immediately following the NICU until the babies hit three months corrected age when they go to a classical neonatal high-risk follow-up program. And everything we see in babies, we're communicating with their pediatricians. So Mm -hmm. there's some nice collaboration. I think the three messages I would have for pediatricians, one is that infants are complex, interactive human beings, and all sensory experiences influence their developing brain function and structure. Mm -hmm. It's about brain care. Mm -hmm. And by no means is that a complete deal when a baby leaves a newborn ICU. They are still in a phase of expansive growth and potential positive and negative effects on a developing brain. The second message would be the importance and the powerful influence of relationship-based care and the pediatrician's relationship, not only with the baby, but also with the parents, is one that I don't think I could overemphasize because I think we are modeling how to support the infant, both for the parents And also how we care for the parents affects, I think, how they care and see and appreciate their own son or daughter's Mm -hmm. behavior. And finally, the NIDCAP philosophy and approach to care is built on emerging strength and competence in babies, in families, in staff, I think even in communities and systems. Mm -hmm. And that model, although it's only really come from and been shown through research and evidence to be effective in a newborn ICU. I personally believe that model would be applicable clearly in any primary practice setting. Mm -hmm. I think it's affected me in my life, in my relationship with family members, in my relationship with colleagues. Mm. It's a model that's human and promotes strength and competence in one another, whatever setting it could be in. So this could be looked at in different formats. Mm, Interesting. So where can we go to learn more about NIDCAP if we want to read more on this? The easiest place to go to find more about NIDCAP would be simply to go on the internet where most people do. It's not Dr. Google, but it's www.nidcap.com. And you can uh, look on the NIDCAP website. It is full of information, both for professionals. It talks about our various training programs. It's also a site for families. And I 
think that that's a good spot to go. And then from there, you could see where's the nearest, we have NIDCAP training centers. We have 23 of them all over the world. You could contact anyone listed. All the contact information is there. And then contact one of us and we can have further discussion and lead any pediatrician to further information as desired. Right. Well, thank you so much for teaching us more about this. It's something that I didn't know about, but like you said, it's something that I probably have seen evolving in NICUs even during my training. And so it's nice to kind of hear some of the evidence behind that. So thanks for teaching us more about NIDCAP today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes, or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.